and welcome back. It's Golf Today on a Tuesday live from TPC Scottsdale. I'm Damon Hack alongside Golf Week's own Eamon Lynch. A little different uh, hue of sky today, but still the great same old energy. Yeah, and it's appropriate we have Shane Lowry on the 16th green behind us here because the forecast is looking a little Irish this week, Damon. Uh, and particularly today, you know, a lot of rain, a little bit of beer. What are you most looking forward to uh, this week? I just feel like this has become part and parcel of the PGA Tour schedule. The, the noise, I think it's, we talked about this yesterday, it's a timely reminder of who actually matters in this game. We've heard a lot of about the players, we've heard a lot about investors, yeah. we've heard a lot about sponsors and tournaments. It's a nice reminder that this game is ultimately for the fans. It's what the, the fans determine the value of everything in this game or the lack thereof. This week is a timely reminder that the fans are the loudest voice in golf right now. They don't feel like the most important mm. voice in golf, but they're certainly the loudest this week. You can make an argument that the fans are the most important people on property this week, but they also have a fantastic field this week at TPC. Scott, tell some notables that you will see. Scotty Scheffler, of course, trying to go for three in a row. Arnold Palmer won three in a row in Phoenix from 1961 to 1963. Hideki Matsuyama went back to back in 2016 and 17. Ricky Fowler, also a past champion in this field. Wonderful grouping here at TPC Scottsdale. Well, a third member of our team is camped out on the 16th hole. Once again, let's say good morning to Kira K. Dixon. Kira, what can the fans expect today? Yeah, good morning, Damon. You mentioned it there, but the weather is a bit iffy today. We might have some rain and breezy conditions later today, and that also looks like the forecast for much of the week, although crossing our fingers for a sunny Sunday. But I'm willing to bet that that is in no way going to damper the vibes and the energy that these fans will bring. They have been flowing through the gates since Monday morning. There's so many events that they can participate in just beyond the golf. Uh, the PGA Tour Wives Association is having a golf tournament later today where their tour husbands are going to be caddying for them. That's something that I would very much like to see. Plenty of activities for the kiddos, activations, clinics, and then lots of concerts in the evenings. The likes of Duran Duran and Kygo will be here as well. So an exciting thing to get to experience as a fan. And there's always a few rookies, of course, in the field, and they are looking forward to the experience overall and to right here at 16 fans getting rowdy a little bit uh it's gonna be unique uh unique experience for me never playing here um you know i think a lot of us kind of rookies coming in we're so excited because we've never played in like an amphitheater like 16 so uh that shot's gonna be really cool it's gonna be nerve-wracking i'm curious to see what my whoop stats even say when i'm playing the shot so um it's gonna be exciting uh really fun week people say some people don't like it some people think it's too crazy i think i'm ready for it i mean i think more tournaments should be like this this is, this is what it's all about trying to put on a show for the fans and um hopefully play really well and have a have a shot at it on Sunday. It's impressive. I'm looking forward to seeing seeing the back nine this afternoon and you know see see the party hole and see what everything looks like those last those last few holes. It's um yeah it's it's different that's for sure. How are you preparing for the scene on sixteen? Because that's kind of something that you don't see week in, week out in professional golf. I think the only thing to do is to kind of embrace it like we don't get anything like it and just take it for what it is just enjoy the enjoy the circus in that that respect and yeah I'm sure it'll be a little daunting come Thursday Friday but um you know it's in the end it's just a golf shot and try to treat it as that and, and not to worry about too much else do you enjoy that kind of environment when you're competing not I haven't really had much of it to be honest I don't mind playing in front of a crowd that's for sure but I'm I don't think I've ever had anything remotely like I think the only thing I could think of would maybe be 17 at Sawgrass um, and I know this is far bigger than that, so but at least it's an easier shot from what I've heard here than 17 at Sawgrass. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to experience it. I mean, my old man played rugby in front of 50-odd thousand people, so it'll be quite cool to, to maybe get to experience a little bit of, bit of what he experienced when he was playing. Yeah, Ryan mentioned his father there, Grant Fox, who, of course, was a rugby legend for the All Blacks. So he's going to get a bit of a taste of that experience this week. Also, Ryan was not in the field uh, just a few days ago. He actually flew with his family, his three-year-old, his nine-month-old, and his wife, all the way from New Zealand in the hopes of getting into the field. And they do not have a home base here, so they are in the States indefinitely going from hotel to Airbnb. And that's kind of life on tour, guys. All right, Kira K. Dixon reporting about 90 yards away from maybe a little 60-degree wedge from us here at 16. Thanks, Kira.
and we've now reached the first event of February. So let's take a look back at the month that was in January. And this season on the PGA Tour started with a number of significant changes that returned to a calendar year season as opposed to the wraparound schedule. There are eight signature events, beginning with the Century out in Maui, ending with the Travelers Championship in Connecticut in June. The introduction of the Aeon Next 10 and Aeon Swing 5, which are eligibility pathways into those signature events. And the top 10 non-exempt players from the 2023 Race to Dubai on the European Tour earned a PGA Tour card for the 2024 season. Well, Amy, Chris Kirk kicked off the season at the Century with that syrupy swing rhythm, tempo, adding that signature win to his career resume. Final round 65 to secure his sixth PJ Tour victory by a single shot over Sahith Tagala. He stayed in the state of Hawaii, Sony Open. Grayson Murray draining that 38-foot, 7-inch birdie to defeat Ben Ahn and Keegan Bradley on the first playoff hole. And that win came six years, five months, 22 days since winning the 2017 Barbasol. In the following week, Alabama sophomore Nick Dunlap made history at the American Express, taking down some of the best in the world to become the first amateur to win on the PGA Tour since 1991. He has since turned professional. One week later, another feel-good story at the Farmers Insurance Open at Torrey Pines. Matthew Pavon became the first player representing France to win on tour since World War II. Yeah, Eamon, I was watching the replay last night of the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am on Golf Channel, the second signature event of the season that Saturday 60. He, he just left that eagle putt a little, little shy on the last few holes, but a 60 historic new course record at Pebble Beach and a third PGA Tour win for our guest from yesterday, Wyndham Clark. Let's take a look at the official World Golf ranking at the time of the win for these five players. See 52 for Chris Kirk all the way down to to number 10, Wyndham Clark, 4,129 with a bullet. The amateur turned professional, Nick Dunlap. So, Eamon, my question to you is, what has worked so far in this new incarnation, this new look PGA Tour? There's a little more clarity in the sense that we are back to a calendar year schedule mm. because the there appear to be dead spots, on, particularly in the fall, on a wraparound schedule. That's gone. It's too early to make a determination on the things that really need to work. And primarily, I would argue, that is churn. Can enough people with a hot hand play their way into the signature events? And by year's end, can enough people be dislodged? It, it shouldn't become like the old World Golf Championships, where by virtue of being in the top 50, you got into those no-cut, limited field events. You were guaranteed a certain return in terms of FedEx Cup points and it became uh, a, a perpetuating cycle. You needed one, two good finishes in those events per year, and suddenly you were good for the rest of the season. You were gonna be in there next year as well. The PGA Tour has run some modeling that would suggest that somewhere around 30, 30 odd percent of the top 50 will not be the top 50 next right. year as well. But I think we need to see some in-season churn as well. And we're seeing signs of that, but it, it's really going to be a test that that we do see the, the Swing 5, for example, make it into the signature events and because you know winning gets you in there. It doesn't dislodge you from the top five list. Right. So suddenly that five can be two, it can be three, depending on how many places are actually in play. But the churn to me is the biggest issue because that's what the membership is going to want to see. They're going to want to know that they have the opportunity to play their way in. You're asking for churn. Part of the churn we have seen and will see is from the DP World Tour yeah. with those 10 exemptions onto the PGA Tour. And Matthew Pavan may be the biggest example of what a player can do coming from overseas. His story, having to make four consecutive birdies to finish out the DP World Tour Championship just to get that PGA Tour card. I mean, he closed like a house on fire. And you know what he's done? He's capitalized on this great play, this opportunity to come to the United States. So what did he do? So he makes those four consecutive birdies in the Middle East to get that PGA Tour card. And then he continues to play great T7 at the Sony Open. Goes on to win at Farmers. And then he also played great, finished, what, third place at Pebble Beach. This is someone who, when we write the ultimate story on this player. Maybe it's going to be, well, he started on a DP World Tour, made those yeah. four birdies, had an incredible West Coast swing, and maybe we see him next year representing the European Ryder Cup team because of his great play 
at the end of the DP World Tour season, entire line all the way through those exemptions and all the way through the West Coast and perhaps all the way to uh, Long Island at the fall of 2025. And Pavon may have also earned himself a space on the dartboard in the Heugard brothers' basement <laughs> yeah. right now because those four birdies that we just saw him make dislodged Rasmus Heugard yes. from the top ten and cost him a PGA Tour card. And Nikolai, his twin brother, finished second at Torrey Pines to Matthew Pavon. And, and that's an interesting angle on what how the membership of the PGA Tour is going to have to adjust to this new reckoning because in terms of categories for players getting their way into these signature events that we're going to see this season, the third priority category is those 10 players from the European Tour. That right. ranks higher, yeah. actually, than the fifth category, which is current season winners right. on the PGA Tour. And these guys are accustomed that if you win on the PGA Tour, you get into everything. You get a free pass into every event that matters. That's no longer the case. And I, I think there will be some griping as, as the season wears on about that. And there will be sensitivity around the issue of the sponsor exemptions as well. We saw that last week at Pebble Beach when three of the four sponsor exemptions went to right. members of the PGA Tour Policy Board. All defensible in their own way, but the perception among players would be of, of others feathering their nest or getting preferential treatment. That's not the case this week. There's a little bit of local parochialism in terms of a couple of Phoenix guys getting a start here, as the Thunderbirds often do, with guys who've been loyal to them over the years. But you have guys in here like Chris Gutterop and Adrian Demonte Chassart, who are two of the real up-and-comers mm. in this game. So th there's always going to be that mix. The tour just needs to be sensitive as to the sponsors, as to who gets those. When we talked to Joel Beal yesterday in our Golf Today roundtable, we have another roundtable a little bit later with Rex Hoggard and Ryan Lavner. One of the things I mentioned was you know, maybe the lack of, of strength in the official world golf ranking. And I thought Joel pushed back beautifully and said, hey, the stories, though, have ruled the day, and, and amateur winning on the PGA Tour, the struggles that Chris Kirk and Grayson Murray have overcome. You know, Wyndham Clark winning for the third time in his career, you know, and, and doubling down on that major championship from last year and shooting an historic 60. What's next that we need to see that tells you that these changes are, are working, or are there just too many unknowns in the game right now to know what the ultimate look of this PGA Tour will be? What we really want to see is the one thing you can't legislate for, which is the stars showing up and performing at the absolute peak of their game. We've seen a lot of Davids, and we haven't seen much of the Goliaths mm. this year. And we're starting to move into the, the tournaments now where they're going to be showing up a lot more frequently as we move through the Genesis, and then we move towards the, the Florida swing and, and Bay Hill and the players. You're going to see them show up. And we've, we've probably seen more of them earlier this year than we might have anticipated seeing, but we haven't seen all of the big guns show up every week. And, and I think play you're well. More often. Exactly. It was Rom. Last year it was Rom. It was January of Rom. Scotty Scheffler. I mean, you had... Hovland so despondent over his form at Pebble Beach that he's right. withdrawn <laughs> this week. Xander's yeah. not here yeah. this week. Rory's not here this week. Played yep. poorly last week as well. So you're going to need to see more of the Goliaths, and you need to see more of them play well. Right now, it's been the season of the Davids right now, but you can't really legislate for that part of it. A lot of slingshots. You want to see a few more uh, bats, baseball bats, uh, some hammers being wielded on the PGA Tour. And what a better place than when we get to Hollywood next week to see the, all the big stars actually show up there. No doubt, looking forward. And you're going to be going to Riviera. I am going to go to Riviera. Well, this is the last tournament by which players can actually qualify for the Genesis Invitational at Riviera next week. To get into that field via the Aeon Swing 5, here is how the standings are right now. Matthew Pavon, who's already in. Grayson Murray, of course. Christian Bezadenhut, Kevin Yu, and Stefan Jaeger round out the top five, making their way to Riviera if they play well enough. Well, our next guest lives here, has played in this event, so I guess we'll find out if he's enjoyed a few beers in the stands as well. Kurt Byram is on the call for NBC this week, and he's coming up right after the break. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. back on golf today we've set up shop this week on the 16th hole at tpc scottsdale it's short but it's loud you could call it the brandel chambly of golf holes actually and here's where you can find the action this week golf channel 
and NBC. Thursday and Friday, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on Golf Channel. Saturday and Sunday, 1 p.m. Eastern on Golf Channel, 3 p.m. on NBC. And it's all covered on Peacock all four days. And one of the guys on the call this week lives here, has played here, knows this course just about better than anybody else, Kurt Byram. Kurt, what does an event like this actually mean? This is a hometown game for you, but it's not just about the golf for the people who live in this town, is it? No, it's not. I mean, this is obviously a huge event for Scottsdale and the Phoenix area. Um, it's just, for me, when I think about it, it's just amazing where it, where it started and then, then where it is now and how big it is and how many volunteers are involved in this thing. The Thunderbirds do such an amazing job and have for a long time. And um, I mean, outside of probably a couple of the major championships, this is my favorite event to do you for TV. You played the first one right at this golf course in 87. <coughs> yep. Could you have imagined what you see around you now? You know, it's funny about that year. Um, I remember I came out, I don't think I played on Monday, so I came out and played a practice round on Tuesday. And there were a lot of people here. And I, was, you know, probably 40,000 people, which is, I mean, that's a Saturday at most events, right? And we were kind of like, wow, there's a lot of people out here. And then Wednesday I came out, I wasn't in the Pro-Am, just came out to practice, hit balls, and there were 50, 60,000 people, and all of the players were starting to talk about, like, what in the world is going on? That first year, it was like, we went from Phoenix Country Club, where you could only get about 15 or 20,000 people in there max, to this, and, and then it just kept growing and growing, and then the weekend was huge. So um, it's amazing where it started, and you know where we are now with the 16th, 17th, 18th holes, uh, holes it's just, Phenomenal. Where was the pivot point in your mind where it became, you know, from going as part of the West Coast swing to being what it is today? Was it the hole-in-one by Tiger in 97, or was there some other moment in your mind where it became just from part of the West Coast swing to the, to the you know, loudest show the People's Open? I think it was even before Tiger. Okay. Uh, you know, I think I, all of a sudden, you know, you had an event where, you went to 100,000 people out here on Friday and Saturday. And there wasn't another event on the PGA Tour that could even come close to that, right? And I'm sure everybody would love to have 100,000 people at their event. So I think it happened before Tiger. But then when Tiger came, of course, just like he did with everything else, it just exploded. And then the hole-in-one here and uh, just <coughs> the having him here, you know, you can even see, you know, that there were no suites around 16 back then. So, yeah, it really changed after that. And it's become this event that, you know, people, I, I hear all the time, people are traveling in because it's on their bucket list. They want to come to the waste management to see what it's all about. And it rarely disappoints. And when you look at the reaction here and the, the famous scene of the, the beer cups going up in the air, this is for a lot of people an acquired taste. And there's definitely a sentiment out there among a, a stuffier or more traditional golf audience that says it's all a little bit vulgar, it's not core golf. What, what would you say to those people? I would say that for one week, get over it. <laughs> <laughs> don't like it, <laughs> Because there's nothing like this event. I love this event. And if you're here to watch golf, you can do that as well. If you're here to party, there's plenty of that to do. Um, but if you're here and you're a hardcore golfer, I mean, there are a lot of holes out there that, that aren't surrounded by suites and that you can watch great golf and um, get up close to the best players in the world. What's the craziest story from your time as a player or a broadcaster here that you can recall? Are we talking daylight hours? Yeah, it can be hours. Any, you can take it wherever you want, or you, can you not, perhaps? I'm pretty sure that most of my behind-the-scenes stories can't be told on air, <laughs> so I'm not even going to try with that one. <laughs> Did you embrace it as a player, the, the noise? Because you see a lot of guys who do vote yeah. with their feet and stay home, even some guys who live in town. It, it's not to everyone's taste, but as a player, did you embrace it or did you feel as though you had to embrace it if you were going to show up? You have to. There's no other choice. You just, and luckily for the most part, it's white noise, right? You're just in there, you're playing, you're, you're trying to hit every shot the best you can, and most of it is white noise. Um, but, you know, you occasionally get the guy that's had 10 too many, you know, and then, then, then sometimes you have a problem, but you just have to embrace it. There's no other choice. And, and for the players, I think, you know, where else are they going to be able to play in front of, you know, if the weather's good on Saturday, there's going to be 150 to 180,000 people out here. Where else can you do that? Yeah. You can't do that. That's a Taylor Swift crowd. Right. <laughs> yeah, plus. We're looking forward to the broadcast this weekend. Part of the team, of course, Kevin Kisner. He's a current player. What is the value of Kevin Kisner's voice in the fact that he's still 
an active player, but mm -hmm. also part of the broadcast team. Yeah, I think the current part of that is a huge deal. You know, he's very current with all the players. Um, obviously, he's friendly with, you know, the majority of players on the tour. He, he knows their games well, um, knows their coaches well. I mean, he's, you know, he's able to get that kind of information and hopefully relay that on the air when we're on the air. But he's a, he's a great guy. I mean, we really enjoyed having him in Hawaii. He's got a great personality. He's funny, uh, fun to be around. And uh, you can tell when you go to the, the practice area and he's there and you're at the practice area and you're watching guys warm up, like, like they turn around and they'll talk to him. And, you know, it's, it, it's, it's really cool. I think, uh, I think he enjoyed being at Century with us. And yeah. I think it's going to be a lot of fun again this week. How much of the pathway to success here requires to be in that kind of Scotty Scheffler? character who's going for three in a row who's, who's able to tune out the noise he's just so laid back he's almost horizontal he, he's not getting worked up by all of this stuff because a lot of guys are going to struggle with that ability to tune out the white noise here he's an amazing guy in that in that way the mental toughness that he has i think is is a lot of why he's so good um, besides the great ball striking that we see every week i mean it's it's a phenomenon if you get a chance to go over and watch him hit balls it's it's unreal how good he hits it but I think he just blocks all of that stuff out, all of the, you know, the comments that may be negative towards him. And, the, you know, with a big crowd like that, you're going to get some of that. But I just don't think he hears a lot of it. Or if he does, he just doesn't let it bother him. It's kind of like, to me, it's like his putting a little bit. You know, he, he has so many opportunities from 10 feet and in, you know, and we see him miss a lot of them, right? And he, know, he knows he's trying to get better at putting. But by the time he gets to the next tee, you really don't see a lot of, like, down, head down. He's just ready to play the next hole. So he gets over it quick. And I think it's a, it's a great uh, thing to have. It's an asset for him. It says a lot about Scotty Scheffler, but I also wonder if it says a lot about the winners here. Hideki Matsuyama, you could say, kind of built in a similar image. Not going to get rattled, flustered. He won back-to-back -back here. Now Scotty going for three in a row. Do you have to have that yeah. mentality of, of not getting worked up to perform well on this unique layout and, and with the crowd that's so unique. And maybe one of the best ever, Brooks Kepka. I mean, he won here. He, You can yell anything you want at Brooks Kepka. He couldn't care less. You know, he's just going to go do his job, which is try to win golf tournaments. Yeah. Is there a concern in town and among the Thunderbirds and people who are loyal to this tournament at what the future could potentially bring on the PGA Tour? Because there's so much uncertainty about what tournaments or countries may be prioritized as the game moves forward. Is there, as strong as this tournament is, is there some kind of trepidation about what the future will hold? I'm sure, I mean, I haven't ever talked to any of the Thunderbirds about that, but I'm sure there's, you know, there's a lot of questions that, that they have on where everything's headed, and, you know, there's a lot of balls in the air right now. So, um, but I also think that the Thunderbirds and this tournament, are, they're very confident in the future that they have here. This is. This is an event that's not going away anytime soon, and Thunderbirds are always going to be there behind it um, and making sure that it's run the way it should be run. And um, I'm sure that they have a lot of confidence that they're just fine. We're sitting up here on 16, undoubtedly the star of the show, but the 17th, drivable par four. Your thoughts on where that hole has come in terms of the development of it, how the players attack it, and some of the calamity yeah. we've seen through the years. You know, I look at the whole back nine a little bit by it. And once you get past 10, 11, 12, and 14 are three of the toughest holes on the golf course. But then you have 13 and 15 are both reachable par fives. And especially that, that stretch that starting at 15. I mean, if you're, if you're a shot behind headed to 15, you still have a great chance to win this tournament because that's a potential eagle hole. Should be birdie if you knock it on there in two. 16, surprisingly, because of this atmosphere, I think plays tougher than it probably should. Um, but then 17, I love that hole. It's in the perfect spot, I think, down the stretch in a, in a competitive environment to you know, have something great happen. Yeah. Or at times we've seen disasters there too, right? Guys lose the tournament there, but it's in a perfect spot. I love that hole. Um, you know, it's just, and it's, it's always been that way. I mean, since I played here, you know, it was drivable back then. So it's just a perfect spot. In, and if you get to 17 with an adrenaline kick yeah. coming out of here, it's easy to kind of overreach and get a little too cocky and find yourself rinsing balls out there. But this hole on paper, there's not much here, no. Kurt. It's very different though when you walk through that tunnel 
particularly on the weekend, particularly on Saturday, and you've got 160 yards and you have tens of thousands of people screaming yeah. in your ears. It's not something these guys ha have managed before to, to deal with or see very often. How tough is it for them to actually process that and just focus on what is otherwise on paper a really simple shot for a guy of that it level? It really is. I mean, one day it'll probably be with that pinned front left, it'll, it's only like 120 yards. They yeah. move the tees up too. So um, back left is the one whole location where you stretch it out just a little bit, but that's a eight or nine iron for these guys. So it is amazing that it can play this tough and it's a lot of it's the psychology of walking through the tunnel, just like you said. Um, I think sometimes experience could help here, as having done it for a year or two and then getting used to that, knowing what to expect. But if I was a rookie, I, I would be like, I can't wait to get there and hit a tee shot. So I think a lot of it's the psychology of it all. How'd yeah. you handle it? You got a one-shot lead on Sunday. Kurt Byram, <laughs> you walk him through that tunnel. Take us through the, the thought process, the players. I think, the, I think one thing is because of the adrenaline spike that you're probably going to feel on top of being in contention to win, you've just got to realize that and make sure you don't hit too much club because <laughs> I think you want to swing hard at a shot in here. You're not trying to fillet a little cut in there, you know, with, with a club that you think might be too much. But uh, you just, I think, and then try to play a little bit on the safe side, one side of the hole. If it's back left, try to play middle to the right side over there somewhere and make sure you, you have a look, but you're going to make par. That's a recipe to get booed on this golf course. <laughs> yeah. you got to go for I it. I know, they're starting to boo shots that land on the green now and stay on the green. They so, boo yeah. on Monday and Tuesday. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Wait till the weekend. Kurt, we appreciate the time. Have fun. We'll be listening to you on NBC and Golf Channel and Peacock as well. Thanks for having me. Good to see you guys. Right, Kurt Byron, part of the NBC golf team on Tuesday. Just getting started on golf today here at TPC Scottsdale. Hi above the 16th. A lot of fun. Some great guests coming up, including a couple of good, good guests. That's in a bit. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com/activecash. We're getting closer to seeing some action here at TPC Scottsdale. The 16th hole is the Vatican for fun-loving golf fans. We're going to see a few worshipers here this week as the week rolls on. Speaking of fun-loving golfers, Good Good is a brand that started a couple of years ago and has really blown up on YouTube and other social media platforms. Led by the likes of Garrett Clark and Bobby Broders, the Good Good guys have tapped into one of the most passionate fan bases in all of sport. Eamon, not only do the Good Good guys upload matches within the group, they're now sponsored by Callaway. I've made content with Ricky Fowler, Masters champ John Rahm. There's the fan favorite, Tommy Fleetwood. And now in partnership, with NBC Sports, the boys are breaking new ground. Tomorrow night, the Good Good Golf Guys will host the inaugural Good Good Desert Open down the road from TPC Scottsdale at Rolling Hills Golf Club, star-studded field, golf personalities, former professional athletes, and more. NBC Sports' own George Savarikas will be calling the event. Coverage will begin 9 p.m. Eastern Time on the Good Good YouTube page and then continues 10.15 Eastern Time streaming exclusively on Peacock, Bubby Broders, Brad Dalkey from Good Good. Join us on the set. It's great to see you, Bubby. We talked to you from the Coachella Valley a few yes, weeks sir. ago. What are we going to see tomorrow night? Um, well, it's the first ever in the space. Obviously, a first ever for us. We're very grateful to have partnered with NBC and Peacock to bring it to fruition. Obviously, they have all the production infrastructure set up on their end. Uh, some of the guys were out there the other day on our production crew and saw all the trucks they have out there. It's like nothing I've never seen before. It feels like what they do for an event of this magnitude. And, yeah, just super grateful to be working with them. We're all mad excited for it and couldn't be happier. Are you playing? Yes, sir. Yes, New sir. Because last time we saw you were just ca caddying for Minwoon Lee at the Amex, and you seemed a bit scared about putting your Cameron McCormick lessons into actual <laughs> practice. <laughs> no, no. Cam, like I said, he's one of the best coaches I've ever worked with. Uh, yeah. The lesson he gave me actually worked really well. I just got to start applying it. You know, that's the hard part. That's the hard part. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're this close to turning into me, Bobby, right now. <laughs> Brad, you're the most accomplished golfer among the good, good guys. Mm -hmm. Do you see yourself now as competitive golfer in this setting or as an entertainer? Where's the line for you on it? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, obviously, anytime I go on the golf course, just it's, it's just in my blood. I want to beat whoever I'm playing against. And uh, 
whether it's this guy or Garrett or whoever it may be. And, um, but also there's that entertainment perspective or that aspect that, um, that I'm trying to, trying to learn. I feel like I've gotten a lot better at it in the last few months. And uh, so it's a little mixture of both, but it's been so much fun. It's been a change, but this, this group is awesome and uh, so excited to be a part of it. How'd you yeah. find them or how'd they find you? So I was still doing pro golf. I was living in Edmond, Oklahoma, playing at Oak Tree National, and they just came up for a random two-day weekend trip. And I knew Quan because uh, we played at OU together. And then uh, they just asked me if I wanted to be in a couple of videos and went from there. So they liked me a lot, luckily. Bobby, there's an audience in golf that's, depending on your point of view, it's either described as traditional or stuffy. Yes, they sir. don't embrace <laughs> a lot of what happens here in Phoenix. Probably don't really amount to the core audience of what you're doing. What would you tell them is the value? How, how do you persuade them on, onto your side of things? Well, I feel like obviously if you're a traditionalist of golf, you have a love for the game, regardless of whatever scope you look at it through. And the game, the game growing for everyone, I think is just a benefit. And we're blessed enough to bring kind of a, I guess a fresher taste to the sport. And obviously we have a whole array, a whole smorgasbord of personalities that guys like Brad and Luke with their golf game could definitely satisfy the more traditional golfer watching them like okay that's fun I actually had to see him hit good shots then you have the other end of the spectrum you have people like me and a couple of the other guys that go out there and we just have a good time shirts untucked hats on backwards and we'll hit the ball far and hit good shots every now and then but we we, we have them around if you want to tune in and catch some good golf now Bobby I know your target demo is 18 to 34 I haven't forgot what you told us at the Amex, you know, and I told you we we're well outside that demo. But what do you hear from the 50-somethings and 60-somethings? Because I've been on the YouTube page, and I've yeah. seen some folks saying, hey, you know, don't forget about us. We love your <laughs> stuff, too. Yes, sir. I mean, it's the same thing. Like, it's a blessing. We were walking over, we were walking over here earlier today, and there's probably three to four guys above the age of 40, 50 that stopped us and said hello and asked for pictures. And, you know, it's all the same. The sport's the same whether you're 10 years old or 50 years old and get into it. Like, my dad didn't start golfing until he was 42. And he's the one who got me into the sport and a big reason why I'm blessed enough to do what I do today. And, yeah, a lot of people just find the sport at different times in their lives. But as long as they find it, I'm grateful for that. Brad, you found it particularly early. You were recruited at OSU mm -hmm. when you were 12 years old, which was something of a controversy at the time. Sure. Was there a point where, as, as happened a lot of guys in pro golf, where it ceases to be fun and somehow now you find your way back to when this game actually is fun for you? For sure. Um, well, i got to correct you. It was OU, not OSU. I don't, I don't like the Cowboys. I'm an immigrant so. off the boat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I, can't, yeah, I can't be associated with the Cowboys. But, um, no, it's uh, – yeah, I mean, I had three or four years of pro golf that I just wasn't able to find my footing. And, um, I mean, it's obviously so difficult. There's so many good players out there. And um, you got to play, play well at the right times. And I just wasn't able to do that. And, um, and so I definitely was losing <coughs> a little bit of the fun, playing many tours, not playing very well. Um, but doing this stuff with good good, it's been – Unbelievable. I mean, I get to play the game that I do truly love. I've been playing it since I was one, you know, one year old, and um, but also I get to have a lot more fun with it, playing different games. All right, there we go. There he is, uh, the national championship. That was a good time right there. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you're known for that. You're known yeah. for a couple of things. You're known for mm -hmm. being recruited as as a kid. You're known for winning a national championship. You made it to the U.S. Amateur final. You played the Masters. You played the U.S. Open. You also as a high school kid, if I recall, did you beat Rory McIlroy in an arm wrestling competition? I did. I did. Yep. What Sage, do you remember? Um, yeah. The uh, it was at Sage Valley. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> <It's> a, <laughs> um, it was at Sage Valley. It was a junior invitational, kind of the Masters of junior golf, and Rory was there with for a, a Nike um, kind of Q and A, you know, meet and greet, and. One of my buddies ch er, told me I should challenge him to an arm wrestling contest, and I did. He said yes, and uh, I whooped him, obviously. So <laughs> You still have the biceps as well? I, I, yeah, maybe they've gotten a little bigger. I don't know, but <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> now, Bobby, I know you've been fighting the snap hook. You now claim it's a butter cut that you're playing, but I, do we have video of uh, a more recent Bobby swing here? Uh, we might. For a little analysis? Ooh, it, it, to be honest with you, it's a day-by-day -day thing. Sometimes I show up, I got a fade. Sometimes I show up, I got a snap hook. You and me too, brother. <laughs> I just account for it, and then see that Look one. Look at him, he's right shot shaping here. What's your analysis of this, Brad? You're the golfer in the group. He doesn't hit many straight shots. That just, <laughs> it's always bending some way. Um, but when Bubby's on, he's he can get that driver going, and it goes a long way. And when he's feeling it, it actually goes really straight. It's just whenever, <laughs> whenever it gets a little bit off rhythm, a little off tempo, is whenever I feel like it gets a little wayward. But Bubby's a good. That's, I mean, that's the thing. Obviously, me and Quan are kind of the two, you know past pro golfers, 
but I mean, these guys are really good in, in their cell. I mean, they are, Bubby's a great golfer, Garrett's a great golfer, all these guys, compared to the average golfer, they are really good. Well, you so got that's great hands, Bubby. You got great hands. You guys have great imagination. Part of the field tomorrow, I think Wesley Bryan. Yeah, How yeah. much of, of an OG is he in your space? Someone you oh. look up to as a, a trick shot guy who went on the PGA Tour. So I remember, obviously, the Bryan bros. I think it was back when I was still in high school. They were filming all these dope trick shot videos all over the place, college campuses, doing all these collaborations. And I remember sitting there watching them and Dude Perfect and thinking, like, damn, that'd be pretty cool if I could do that one day. And now I'm blessed enough to be able to do a very similar thing to what they do. But, yeah, having the Brian Bros there. And then I think it's going to come down between the Brian Bros and uh, Brad Dawkey and Michael Block at the Good Good Desert Open presented by Golf Galaxy. Those are my two front runners. Do you think, and given everything that's going on in this game these days, all of the division, the end, let's talk about money, is there a place for guys who just seem to play with joy, who find yeah. fun in a game that seems to have gone out of the professional product so much? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's very hard for me to sit up here and uh, try and empathize when you have hundreds of millions of dollars thrown at you and you're in this situation. You can only imagine what you'd say, but if that check's actually put in front of you, I don't know. It seems like guys hopefully go out and play for fun at all the time, but at the end of the day, they do this to put food on the table for their family and provide, and that's very important. Some guys want that and legacies. Some guys want that for generational wealth. I, I think guys go out there and still have a lot of fun because they just like competing at the end of the day. I think that's what brings them to the joy is that competition. Is it as fun behind the scenes, Bubby, as it looks on YouTube? Yeah, yeah it, it's, it's, it's thrilling. It's so much fun. I say it all the time. My favorite times of every month are the two to three good weeks we take. We go out there, we get a, we're blessed enough to get dope Airbnbs like we have here in Scottsdale. We have a good time. We film from like 9 a.m. to sundown, go to the gym, grab some dinner, play card games, play basketball, whatever the Airbnb has to offer, and then we do it all again the next day. It's a bunch of fun. What's the best thing that you didn't actually get on tape that <laughs> happened during a good, good shoot? Oh, the best shoot. The, the thing is, Colin and Max are incredibly great at their jobs, and they have wow. the cameras going at all times. They don't miss a whole lot. Best thing we've ever – I would definitely say it wouldn't even have to do with – Golf shots being hit, because Colin and Max, they don't miss those. It'd probably be like if we're in a cart and don't have the cart cam rolling and some funny was said, something like that. Just or like, gosh, I wish we could share that moment with the people. How about Sharf's last double eagle, how we didn't have a, a oh, green cam? Yeah, we didn't have a green cam. <laughs> That's that probably, we, it was like 360 yards. We're like, now nah, no one's going to hit the green. Oh, yeah. no. And Sharf makes it from 360, and it we're like, why did we not just put a green cam yeah. up there? Brad, do but, we have a nickname for you? Like, I'm a kid oh, from gosh. the 80s, like, Dalky. Donkey Kong, does mm -hmm. anyone call you Donkey Kong? Kind of from Donkey Kong, the old Do video game. Donkey Kong is one of my video. It was one of my video games. It was my one of my nicknames. Okay. Um, what else is there? I came There's up with one. Remember Yuki. the Google Championship? <laughs> oh yeah. Brad the Badman yep. Donkey. Yep. That's how I introduced him to the Google Championship. So I, yeah, I've accumulated a lot of nicknames over the years, but um, yeah, Donkey Kong is my favorite. They don't want to seem to use that one, but nah. it's all right. You've grown out of that one. Yeah, I've like grown out of that one. Yeah. <laughs> Donkey Kong on ClecoVision. I used to have it back in the day, guys. We cannot wait. Tomorrow night is going to be a lot of fun. Enjoy it here at 16. Mm. Hang around a little bit. Have yes, a lot of sir. fun. Oh, yeah. Yes, sir. Thank you guys right, for having yeah. us on. Thank I appreciate it. And you can all watch at home as well. It's going to be a lot of fun under the lights tomorrow. Peacock inaugural Good Good Desert Open hosted by the Good Good Golf Guys Rolling Hills Golf Club. Big time field. You got athletes, personalities. George Savarikas on the mic. Coverage begins 9 p.m. Eastern time on YouTube and then continues exclusively on Peacock, 10, 15 p.m. Eastern Time. A lot of fun tomorrow. A lot of fun right now. Fans filling in. Players getting some early looks at the par 3, 16th in the Valley of the Sun. Time now, though, for our Golf Today Roundtable. Rex Hoggart and Ryan Lavender join us on this Tuesday. Great to have you both. Love listening to you on the Golf Channel podcast, by the way. Rex, I want to start with you. I don't want to overstate it, but we're both of a similar vintage. How would you describe the evolution of this tournament from where it was 25, 30 years ago to where it sits today? Damon, I think you nailed it when you said it, it's younger, it's hipper, it's, to be clear, not for any of the four of us who are on this roundtable right now, as we're all <laughs> men of a certain age. And I, I love the interview that you just did with the, with the guys trying to grow the game, trying to get younger. That's what this is about. I had the pleasure of doing the show with you a few years ago there on the 16th, and it is a scene. It's something that you don't see in golf. I think the only comparison I can ever come up with is at a Ryder Cup, and you don't even get that all the time. It's a very special place, 
and you hear it all the time from the players. It is You talked about how it has evolved. It's turned into the People's Open. It's turned into the world's largest cocktail party. Whatever you want to call it, it's good for the game. I, I was fascinated last year that it became a designated event, and it turns out it didn't need to be a designated event. It still got the field that it needed, and it's not a signature event this year. You still had the party. You still had the atmosphere. I think it holds a very special niche on the PGA Tour. Ryan, I know how deeply that cut you right now to have Rex refer to you as a gentleman of a certain <laughs> age, since you are slightly younger than the rest of us here. But in terms of the players who come here to this tournament, how many of them do you think genuinely embrace and enjoy these kind of circumstances? Because it really isn't to everyone's taste, and they don't see it any other week of the year. Eamon, I think Rex just nailed it, though, because this is not a signature event anymore. They're not playing for a $20 million purse. You do not have to show up. And you saw some of the WDs uh, this week, whether it was Victor Hovland or Xander Schauffele, who wanted to get ready for next week's Genesis Invitational. You don't have to show up, and yet this still has one of the strongest fields that it ever has here at the Waste Management Phoenix Open. It might not be for everybody, uh, but it's certainly for those guys who come. You know that basically you can play about 14 holes in relative anonymity and then buckle in for the last four holes. They know it, they understand it, and yet they're still showing up, which I think says a lot. Rex says, you know, these are complicated times. We interviewed Wyndham Clark yesterday, winner at Pebble. I want you to listen to his comment when asked about his decision to stay on the PGA Tour, at least for this season. It's very difficult. I think, um, you know, Liv has, has a great, is a great product, and there's a lot of great players there. And, um, you know, I don't know what the future holds between, you know, Liv and PGA Tour or whatnot, but I just ultimately <laughs> thought about it with my team and asked a lot of people. And I said, you know, there's a lot of things I want to do in golf. I want to try to get to as high in the world as I possibly can. I want to uh, continue to contend in majors and try to win majors and, and play at courses like Pebble Beach, uh, these historic events that have been here forever. And so I ultimately did choose Legacy um, that hopefully I could put my name in the history books as one of the greats. And so it's something that, you know, obviously that requires a lot of work on my end and I have to play good golf, but I at least wanted that challenge. So I ultimately chose the tour and, and feel really happy with my decision. What do you think, Rex? Does it sound like a player maybe hedging his bets, waiting to see what happens? And is Wyndham Clark alone in your mind? I think he would be smart to hedge his bets, probably like a lot of other players who have done the same thing, given where we are right now in the state of the game. You don't know what next week is going to bring, as we saw last week with the PGA Tour announcing its investment with SSG. So I think what you ended up with, and I will give Wyndham credit. I was on that call on Sunday night after they declared him a champion, and I was taken by not only his honesty, but how forthright he was in sort of just explaining his mindset. I think all of us have talked to players on the PGA Tour, and almost all of them to a person have said, yes, I've had conversations with Liv Goff, but I didn't think it was for me. I think in this particular case, I am taken by the idea he was, and again, I don't want to refer to him as a man of a certain age, but he certainly had the window to join Liv Goff and not worry about, at least in the, in the foreseeable future, having to qualify for the major championship. That seems like it's always the stumbling point for guys who want to go over there. He didn't have that hurdle. He's qualified into the near future. So I was taken by the idea that he sat down with his team, decided this wasn't for him. And I was also taken by the idea that he was, he's probably more forthright than anyone else I've heard talk about it. I think you're exactly right, Rex. Like, I was struck by the transparency that, that yes, he had conversation. Yes, he had offers. Yes, uh, he kind of needed some persuasion to stay uh, on the PGA Tour. And I hate the dialogue that, you know, everyone has a number uh, because I think it kind of dismisses some of the moral uh, objections that, that certainly uh, some people would have. But, but it was pretty obvious that Wyndham Clark had a figure in mind that he was willing to make the jump and, and, and kind of not chase the world ranking points and not chase FedEx Cup titles and, and other major championships uh, whenever his uh, ex exemptions uh, uh, kind of lapse had he reached that number. It was clear uh, that he kind of had a number in mind, and, and when Liv couldn't meet it, it was easy to, to fall back uh, to, the, to the PJ Tour. But, but, you know, Terrell Hatton reached that number. John Rahm reached that number. You know, a dozen or so other stars <coughs> who left the PJ Tour also reached that number, but but kudos to Wyndham Clark for actually 
being transparent and letting us in on the process, or at least his process personally. Rex, we saw a couple of fissures open in the locker room last week. You know, Jordan Spieth was very lukewarm about the idea of Piff being involved as an investor in the PGA Tour in the future, while Rory McIlroy insists they need to be involved in it. You also saw Rory say that live guys should be able to come back to the PGA Tour with no punishment. Ricky Fowler immediately said he doesn't think that ought to be the case as well. Is, is Rory already ahead in the direction where the tour is eventually going to go, or is he losing touch with the sentiment in the locker room? No, I think he's ahead. And if you look at where he's been the last two years or essentially throughout this entire process, I would say he's been ahead of that as well. And look, everyone's going to point to the idea that he did do a 180 on the idea that players should be allowed back from live golf without any penalty. That wasn't the tune he was singing just six months ago. So I get why a lot of players, including Ricky Fowler, sort of looked at that with the eyebrow raised because it didn't make any sense to them. But I think Rory, like a lot of people who have more information than we do when it comes to these negotiations and the direction of the PGA Tour, realizes that the tour needs PIF going forward. It's probably not a good idea to say that publicly while you're in the middle of a negotiation, but he also realizes that the fractured game that we have right now, last weekend was a perfect example. You had pretty much half the players, top players in the world playing at Pebble Beach and the other half playing in Mexico. That's not good for the fans. It's not good for the product. And I think long-term, the PGA Tour knows that. I will say this. I would, I would have loved to have gotten a transcript of that phone conversation between Jordan Spieth and Roy McIlroy after they essentially disagreed in public over the idea of allowing these players back because I'm sure that was a fascinating conversation. And Rex, we talked about this on the, on the podcast on, on Monday night. Like, you could see why the PG Tour and, and Jordan Spieth, the board member who was put in front of the press uh, on Wednesday afternoon at Pebble Beach, kind of why they were victory lapping, why they were, may have been feeling themselves a little bit and said they don't necessarily need now a PIF investment. You know, it does shore up the financials. It is going to help make uh, some of the players whole uh, who did choose the loyalty of the PG Tour. But if I'm a golf fan, like, I'm <coughs> desperate to know where this $1.5 billion is going to go. You know, if I'm a golf fan, how is my experience as a PGA Tour fan going to be improved? What sort of advancements are in the work? What sort of uh, you know, long-term play now is the PGA Tour going to have? That's more important to golf fans than patting the wallets of, of guys who have already made tens of millions of dollars. Lav, all of us depend on conversations, interviews with players. We've now seen John Rahm in a live golf uniform, bogeyed a couple of holes, lost a tournament, was still celebrating on stage with a team victory. Just laugh. I will miss interviewing him post-rounds, uh, which I'll be doing for NBC shortly. But just your reaction to seeing John Rahm in this new chapter of his life. So there's a couple things, Damon. So I actually chuckled during the broadcast. I watched the entire thing on Sunday at, at Mayakoba when it was suggested by Greg Norman that, that John Rahm, his, his uneven play, at least early in the final round, was tied to paying too much attention to where they stood in the team race. That's obviously laughable if you know anything about John Rahm and kind of his, his seething intensity that he plays with inside the ropes. I, you know, on the pod last night, I had many good things to say about the live product, but what still does not work is having both a team and an individual leaderboard. I've seen it in college golf, having covered it for more than a decade now. You know, you're, you're, you're trying to decide as an observer which one is most important. Is it winning the individual title or is it winning the team title? If you're trying to do both things, you, most of the time you wind up doing neither particularly well. If I'm Live Golf, I, I would be leaning uh, headlong into the team competition. I'd be doing more match play. I'd be doing more metal match play. And so you don't have the situation that you had on Sunday where, where the interviewer was essentially walking into a hornet's nest with, with John Rahm, who just bogeyed the last two holes to lose the individual title and having to kind of him rationalize the feelings. It's just, it's, it's too confusing. If I'm live, I kind of abandon hopes for the OWGR and lean headlong into the team concept because I actually think there really is something there. And I think team golf uh, would, would actually be a beneficial move for the PGA Tour if they could incorporate that four to six times a year as well. Damon, you're a braver man than I am. If you want to interview John Rahm after he bogeys a couple of holes coming down the stretch to lose a tournament, I have no interest at all in that. I've had to try to do that a couple of times. It's a tough, tough scene. I, I will say this. I talked to one of John Rahm's friends last week on the PGA Tour. He remained on the PGA Tour. And it was an interesting take that he had about 
John Rahm's not going to feel entirely comfortable over at Live Golf. There's a lot of different reasons why. We talk about his intensity all the time. He burns really, really hot, and that's probably what made him or makes him the great competitor that he is. So shorts during rounds, shotgun starts, loud music, probably not something that he actually thinks about when, when he goes out to the golf course. It's going to take a little getting used to. And as Lab pointed out, the team concept is going to be a little tougher, I think, for him to wrap his mind around as well. Because walking off the golf course, I'm sure he wasn't thinking about his Legion team and everything that they had just accomplished. I'm sure he was burning hot that he just lost the golf tournament. Maybe I'm just a glutton for punishment. I don't <laughs> mind interviewing players, even if they walk off the 18th <laughs> after a couple of mistakes. Great Ooh. stuff from Rex and Lav on this Tuesday. From TPC Scottsdale, Bud Colley set to make his first PGA Tour start since 2020. The 33-year-old has had a terrible run of injuries, but looking to put it all behind him come Thursday. We'll be joined by Bud right after the break. But Colley in the field this week, making his first PGA Tour start since the 2024 the championship. He suffered a serious car crash in 2018 sidelined for much of the time since he now has 27 starts left on his major medical exemption and he joins us now on this tuesday but it's great to see you i imagine a lot of folks are very happy for you as you make your first start on the pga tour since 2020 what are the emotions like this week i'm just really excited um uh, you know, as you mentioned, it's been a long time since I've been able to come out here and, and compete with these guys. So it was fun to play a couple of tournaments um, last month in the Bahamas and get ready. And uh, I'm just really excited to be here. But we know you've had a lot of lingering physical issues and injuries from that car accident. Can you summarize for the folks at home exactly what the issues are that you've had to work your way through physically over the last few years? Yeah, so I had a, obviously I was in that car accident in 2018, and some of this, all these things sort of stemmed from that. I recovered from that, was able to play for a couple years, and then had some issues come up, um, had to go in for a surgery to try to um, fix that, and then just had a bunch of complications, a bunch of things went wrong. I had to go in uh, two more times for additional surgeries, and then had some infections and just it seemed like everything that went wrong or that could go wrong went wrong and just set me back for a long time and it took me a, a long time to get my body in the condition I needed to be in to be able to play golf. There's the physical setbacks but I imagine some mental setbacks along the way as well. What was the difficulty in overcoming just the disappointment and the waiting game as you did? Yeah it's frustrating you know I obviously played golf all my life and to have it taken away one day is, is really difficult and then the process I think it took me just over three years from my last event to this week and you know at first you're very optimistic and then as year one goes by or year two goes by that optimism starts to fade a little bit but I had a lot of support from my family to help me get through it and you know I mean that's a big reason why I'm even here this week is they kept me going and optimistic even when you know things weren't looking too good this is your first pga tour start in a few years but but you did play a couple of corn ferry tour events recently and i believe you were tied 21st tied 35th did you take those as a couple of good positive weeks given where you've been and did it give you a sense of what to prioritize in sharpening your game for this week yeah absolutely you know i Obviously, just to go play and compete again was big, but to play all four days in both events and get all the reps in and just to have that peace of mind that everything felt good and to feel comfortable coming out this week was big. And, and as you mentioned, too, just making those adjustments um, every day and little things I could work on or even just remembering little keys that I would think of throughout a round or with in my golf swing or putting. It, some of those things sort of came back to me in those weeks also, which I think will help me a lot now that I'm back out here. Speaking of little, you have a little boy, a one-year-old Cooper with the wife and son in the Bahamas. Are you like traveling with a pack and play, a bunch of diapers? Like how are you making the travel with a, a youngster work? <laughs> we're, we're learning as we go. 
that's that's really what we're doing. We the Bahamas was a, a learning experience for us with the the pack and play and the the bottles and everything. It's you know for a, a little guy he doesn't travel very light. So we luckily this week we're staying with some friends and and they had a pack and play, so we were able to leave ours at home. So that was one less bag we had to check. I think we only had six this week rather than seven. How much has all of that changed your perspective then? I, I get you've had the, these terrible physical issues over the last few years. Now you're a father. Does it put in a different perspective how meaningful or meaningless in the grand scheme of things playing golf actually is? Um, you know, I, I think more than anything, I'm just excited to share this with them. I mean, my wife and I were only dating when I first got hurt. She came out sort of for one year, and then I feel like I put her through so much stuff these last three years with me trying to get healthy. And, and even though these surgeries and injuries were happening to me, it was you know happening to her also. So for me, it's just a lot of fun to have them out here. And um, you know, when I met Christy and we started talking about having a family, I always envisioned us traveling together and and then being able to come with me. And even though it's a little bit it's a little more difficult at times that it, it's I'm enjoying the experience of, of having them come out and that makes you know these weeks even uh, apart from the golf just more fulfilling for me but it's great to see you healthy and happy best luck this week as you return to the PGA Tour we'll talk to you soon thanks guys all right great to have Bud Colley with us coming up next how about the 11-time Pro Bowler, 17 NFL seasons, Arizona Cardinals legend Larry Fitzgerald about to join us. Nobody loves the game of golf. I mean, nobody loves it more than Fitz. Larry Fitzgerald joins us now here at TPC Scottsdale. Larry, we know you're a fierce competitor and you do your scouting. So first things first, what handicap are you claiming this week and who are you already suspicious is sandbagging among the celebrities? Um, I'm about a 16. Um, 16? Nah, I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> Courtney Holt told me to say that. She told me to say that. <laughs> I got to protect my, protect my handicap. I'm about a six. Um, and, it's, and it's trending in the right direction. And who are you suspicious of? You've, I'm sure you've scouted out some of the other celebrities you're going to be going up against in the pro am. Yeah, there's a lot of sandbaggers out there. There's a, there's a lot. You know, name I don't want I don't I don't want I don't want to name them out. You know, it's, it's it's tough to be able to do that to your friends, but most of the guys <laughs> I'm close to. How yeah. many swing thoughts are you carrying these days? Because one minute you're in the Middle East with Rory, then you're at Pebble. Now you're here. How are you keeping things simple? No, I mean it's it's really one thing I really enjoy is, is playing golf and you know the things that it's just done for me in terms of relationships and brought me all around the world and gotten gotten me into um, opportunities I never thought I would be able to and it's, it's the greatest game ever and it's one that you never can master and uh, that's what I really really enjoy about it what did you learn from Rory well you know I was struggling a little bit with the chipping you know I was hitting kind of fat and Rory told me I was standing a little bit too far from the ball so I needed to uh, I needed to get a little bit closer um, and it, the contact was much better and that round I, I had a couple birdies and <laughs> wedged it up pretty close so I was I was happy with that day who hits it farther you or him Rory does. Rory. <laughs> is it even and, close? And, um, I mean, I'm, I'm within. I'm, I'm in the same zip code, but it's, it's not all that close. The thing that about Rory, he, he always finds his drive too. You know, he finds his <laughs> balls. You know, sometimes, you know, I'm hitting. You know, I'm reteeing it, hitting the third on the tee box. He, do, he doesn't ever have to do that. When you played football out here, when this event was going on, was it always something you aspired to be part of, or were you even really aware of it at this time of the year when you were at your peak professionally? I always, I always watched it. So my first time ever touching the golf club was in 1997. Tiger Woods came up to do a, a first tee event, and my dad's in the media in the Twin Cities area. And I remember literally Tiger Woods putting the golf club in my hand, putting my grip, um, you know, over, over, overlap grip, and um, I'm sorry, interlock grip, and. You know, that was my first interaction with golf, and I, I watched it all the time. My dad, at his best, was about a four handicap, so I would four-caddy for my dad on his Wednesday and Saturday games. I understood it, but it was just so slow, and I really liked, you know, games that were a little bit faster. I look at you now, Larry. You play golf. You love the game. I remember talking to Marcus Allen, who told me you know, he played a similar length of career as you, and he said, thankfully, blessedly, he didn't get hurt too badly. 
you played a rough sport, the roughest sport. How are you physically? Does it affect your golf at all? Shoulders, knees, legs? Not nothing. Not, nothing bothers wow. me. I was fortunate enough to never have a surgery, no real issues, and so I was very, very lucky. Very lucky. And um, you know, I played a, I played a position that was a little bit softer than what what he had to do playing running back. He gets hit by a lot of big guys. A receiver, you get to catch it and get down. You know, uh, so it's a little bit different physicality. You might have had some DBs ducking out of the way of you. You're <laughs> big for a receiver. I am. I am. But uh, you know, I. I wasn't trying to dish out the contact. I, it was about playing and longevity. You know, you got to pick and choose your battles out there. Larry, you played a sport where the, the talent is contracted, where you had obligations for the money beyond just your mere performance on the field. Do you think that's something golf is headed towards in, in everything that's going on now, this ability to guarantee the product so the fans know who's actually going to be there on the field of play every week? So in terms of the fans and the participation, I think it's, it's, it's good. You know, you know, showing up at a turn at an elevated event, you're going to get the top 50 players in the world. You can guarantee that from a, from a TV contract perspective is great for the fans. Right. But in terms of competition, you know, you, you want guys to be out there playing for, for their keep. You know, I think that's the one thing I always respected about the game. Um, you know, when Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson, no matter how many majors and, and wins you have, you can take all of them 80, 80 plus wins. If you don't play good on Thursday and Friday, you're going home with everybody else. And there was a there was a level of respect that you that you that you had to give the game um, because if you didn't, you know, you wouldn't make the cut. And uh, you know, I always really enjoyed that. But I think from a fan's perspective, they want to see the best players in the world, and, and they're going to be able to do that with these elevated events. What are your thoughts on this hole in particular? I imagine this would be like an Arizona Cardinal going to to Seattle to, to take on the. Yeah. the 12th man do you like this venue in particular and how it's set up for golf I, I love it I think it's the most iconic um not non-major type hole that you, that we have in the game um when, when this thing is rocking on a Friday or a Saturday or a Sunday down down the end of the round I mean it's it's electric in here and um you know I think the players really embrace it for for one week you know it's it's, it's a really a great experience and I like it too for the most part in the Wednesday program until I miss the green and then I don't like it when they boo me. <laughs> they boo Larry Fitzgerald. They boo, they boo everybody. <laughs> you, you miss that green, you're getting booed. <laughs> you did play a game where the fans, sometimes even your own fans, are shouting at you and not always affectionately. Is that something golfers kind of need to get used to a little bit more these days as, as the fan demographic changes in golf? They do get a little bit louder. You need to take that white noise approach to it. Um, I, I do agree with that. I think there's certain times where you want to be, you know, loud, but you have to be respectful. When a guy standing over a putt, that's meaningful. You know, be like be respectful of that. When he's on the tee box hitting the tee ball, be respectful. When he's walking down the fairways, have at it. You know, it's, it's sport. You're pleading for mercy in the pro-am tomorrow. No, no, no. If I don't hit the green, you know, I don't deserve, I don't deserve it. You know, just, I, and they're going to let you know. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Oh, you're a tough guy. You can handle it. Speaking of tough guys, so you played with Adam Hadwin, I want to say, yep. at Pebble. Mm -hmm. You may recall last year, a Canadian Open, yep. his buddy Nick Taylor mm -hmm. gets the job done. Yep. Crowd goes wild. Yep. Adam goes out there and gets absolutely clotheslined by the security <laughs> guard. Now, you know what it's like to get tackled. How do you think Adam handled that? Did he brace his body well? He's Canadian. No Canadian guys are tough, man. They can take it, take a punch. That's where all, all, the, all the best uh, hockey players in the world come from. So you know those guys are they're built for it tough up there. And, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't mess with him about that. <laughs> you know, I know it was, a, it was a sensitive subject. But, no, he took it in stride, which I really, really appreciated about him. He's a great man. I'm looking forward to seeing him this week. What would you learn by watching him play golf and how he goes about his business? His temperament, you know, he's he's unflappable. No matter if he hits a you know poor shot or if he misses a putty that he he felt like he should he should have made, you know, he he lets it go and gets right back into the flow of it. You know, uh, I I had the chance to play with him in a couple other programs, so it was great to be able to spend a few days with them and get to know him a little better. Speaking of other guys you played with, is it true that you made an ace in front of President Obama at Seminole and the yeah. celebrations had to be a little bit muted? Yeah, I, it was, that was one of the, the best moments. That was my, it was my third hole-in-one, and I was able to make it. I made it with Jimmy Dunn, was also Glenn Hutchinson. Uh, Glenn Hutchins was also in the group, and, and I, I told I'm after the round, I was staying at Jimmy's house, and I said, I made, I made, I made a hole-in-one with the president. And Jimmy said, look, Larry, there was only one president. In that group, and that was Jimmy Dunn. <laughs> <laughs> That's, <laughs> like Jimmy. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's fantastic. You have friends on the PGA Tour. You also have friends on the Live Tour. Is, is it a strange time in the game? Are you concerned just as a fan about the fracturing at the highest levels of the game? No, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I, I'm close with a lot of guys, you know, Brooks and Dustin and John and you name it on, on the live. And I pull for those guys. I want to see them succeed just like I want to see, see my friends on the, on the PGA Tour yeah. succeed. Um, I, I think, you know, we're moving closer to unification. You know, I, I, I think it's 
it's in the distant future, but it's it's out there, and I and I think one day, you know, the, the game will be unified again. I hope I hope we're moving in that direction. You've played in a lot of high pressure situations in your life professionally. What are your nerves going to be like in that tee box tomorrow? You know, I don't really get too big of a nerves on on playing golf. Like I, I'm a six handicap. I'm not going to miraculously come out here and shoot 60. Like this, it's not it's not ever going to happen. So I, I kind of manage my expectations. You know, you want to play well, but there's going to be an errant shot here and there. It's going to be a a yippy putt. You know, it's, it, 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 it's just part of the deal. I don't I don't hit thousands and thousands of balls every single week and. You know, you kind of are what you are in golf. You is know, he trying to manage expectations. He is trying to lower the expectations. We all, we all have to. We all have <laughs> That's to. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm a Raider fan. I grew up in L.A. So I can't root for the Chiefs, but the the, the Niners were across the bay from from the Oakland Raiders. Yep. So I can't really root for them either. Who do you like? You have a handicap for the the Super Bowl. Well, I think it's going to be a great game. Uh, what Brock Purdy and that offensive unit has done throughout the year has been really impressive. You know, the the most diverse and uh, you know best attacking offense, you know, in the game right now, in my opinion. But that Patrick Mahomes, man, he's he's from a different planet, man. <laughs> he's from, he from where Superman is from somewhere, man. That guy, every time he gets in big games and big moments, he just finds a way to be able to get it done. And that connection with Andy Reid, you know, those two together, when they're on the same accord, uh, it's, it's pretty special. And with that experience, I mean, there's a lot of guys on that team, you know, 30-plus guys have played in multiple Super Bowls. So the, the, the magnitude, the pressure is not going to be the same as for the 49er guys who most of them have never participated in the game of that magnitude. And so I think I think the 49ers are the better team, but I, but I think, you know, the Chiefs are playing better right now. Should be a great game. Larry, we yeah. love visiting with you. You Thank visited you. us last week at Pebble and now here in Phoenix. Have fun tomorrow on the program. We appreciate the Thank time. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's always great to be on with you guys. There he is. 11-time Pro Bowler Larry Fitzgerald, Arizona Cardinals. Legend, he'll be out there tomorrow on 16. I, I think he promised a birdie. At least that's what I heard. I, I said, I'm going to hit the green. I'm going to hit the green. <laughs> He's going to hit the green. Much more from TPC Scottsdale after this. It's loud enough when you're in the stands. We've made our way down on the ground here at 16. We walked out a few minutes ago. My man, the buzz is palpable. I mean, we got friends like the, the gorilla from the, the Phoenix Suns game. You never know who you're going to bump out, bump into here, uh, TPC Scottsdale. This is what the gladiators must have felt like going into the Coliseum in Rome, except we don't have any weapons for this kind of assault <laughs> here, Damon. The last time I played this hole, it was in the company of Brandel Chambly, and there was no one watching back then. I've covered Super Bowls, New York Knicks playoff games at Madison Square Garden. The buzz, it just feels different. It's one thing to be removed if you're behind glass in a press box, but to actually be here on the tee box here, and we're well short of where the, the pros will be teeing up. This is where I'd be very comfortable playing from. This is where your tee shot lands. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm usually lying one or two here, but you can feel the energy. The people, the fans are so appreciative, and the players, you have to really kind of be buttoned up here. A lot can go wrong here and has gone wrong here. And it's not even lunchtime on Tuesday, and already this place is hopping out here. We've just seen Nick Taylor play through here. The award number one, Scotty Scheffler, just went through a few moments ago. These guys are getting razzed. If they don't hit a shot that's inside of 10, 12 feet on this hole, they're going to hear about it. 11 aces have been hit on this hole historically through the WM of Phoenix Open. Can you imagine if we get a 12th this week with all the energy that we're expecting, all the fans we're expecting here I this week? I think it's going to register on the Geiger counter somewhere if, if we get an ace out here. Have you ever actually been on the golf hole in front of a crowd like this before? Well, I finished tied for second at, at Pebble at the Pure Insurance, but, but that, that's a different kettle of fish. To actually be We're here never gonna hear the end of that. in this stadium, you'll never hear the end of that. I actually took a shot here years ago. They had like a media outing. I missed the green. My buddy Mark Canazero of the New York Post, longtime golf writer, actually won the closest to the pin contest. I was very nervous. There were a lot of people watching. I can't imagine what the best players in the world are be going through this week.